Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, this conversation is going to get super interesting. Richard Faccioni has retail in his blood and is chairman of two retail groups, which between them have upwards of 1,000 stores. The portfolio includes brands like Surfstitch, General Pants, Lego Stores, Pumpkin Patch, Ginger and Smart, Rivers, Noni B and Katie's, and more. Uh, he has hardcore visibility right now on consumer sentiment and their wallets. He's also got a view on what's behind the current swing back to bricks and mortar stores as, he, as e-commerce for many retailers cools a little. Well, up to 30% cooling, actually, for some on last year's comparables. Equally, Richard has a rather pragmatic take on the future of online retail pure plays. The profits of Doom, who predicted pure plays would eat store retail's lunch, may have to eat some humble pie. A case in point is that after Richard led Alchemy's estimated $50 million acquisition of online retailer Surfstitch, it will likely be paired in some way to a physical retail presence. And just as interesting as all that is why the chairman of Alchemy Group and Mosaic Brands, which between them housed the portfolio of aforementioned retail stores, was in San Francisco in September getting deep into tech stacks from e-commerce to customer data platforms at the Evangelical Dreamforce conference put on by Salesforce. As it turns out, Richard and his team want to unify their enterprise and customer tech infrastructure across their stable of retail brands, and Richard is personally leading the charge. Not bad for a chairman, I think. He's also clearly come good on a pledge to do this podcast after being trapped on a plane with yours truly and no way out. We'll pretend he wants to really do it. So Richard, welcome. There's a lot of ground to cover. Great to have you on the mic, Some Let's get straight to it. Ecom, let's start there because there's been so much through COVID about e-commerce and digital uh, you know, transformation and, and companies rapidly needing to adjust to the new scene. But it seems that e-com is cooling a little bit. Bricks and mortar is lifting. Are you seeing that and what's behind it? Welcome, Richard. Thank you, Paul, and thank you for having me. Yeah, look, we're definitely seeing a pullback in online from last year, absolutely. But what we're also seeing is it does vary by sector and across brands. Overall, online is still up on where it was in 2019, and that's some ANZ research that was recently published to support that. So there has been a structural lift in- Do you um, recall the quantum, the, the percentage lift on that? Is uh, it? I think in total, it's a few percent. Okay. Like in the, it's in the sort of four or five percent range, but it varies very dramatically between sectors and, right. and, and brands. And I think it also depends uh, on where you sit as a business in terms of your overall online journey. So if I look at a brand like Mosaic, who was pretty early in their online journey, they've seen continued growth, even from last year in their online business, well up on 2019, up on last year, and that continues to grow that growth trajectory. And let's be clear, Mosaic houses a bunch of brands which include? Oh, so Noni B, Katie's, Rockman's, Miller's, uh, rivers, um, yep. predominantly uh, mature uh, women's uh, apparel. Right. But so that, they're up. You're that whole group, that whole yep, yep. is up uh, in an e-com online sales perspective. Yep. Even right. up year on year from from, okay. from last year. It's moderated. The growth is definitely moderated, but it's still still mm. growing. Compare that with a brand like General Pants. Again, it's a, and I should note, Mosaic is a bricks and mortar and online business, as is General Pants. General Pants is probably further along their online journey. They've seen a pullback from last year, slight pullback from last year, but still well up on 2019. Contrast that with Surfstitch, which is a pure play online business, 
and that is probably flat-ish to 2019, maybe slightly down, which is consistent with other online retailers and well down on last year. So you've definitely seen a shift from online from a year ago back to bricks and mortar, uh, but it's still up on historical levels. And the shift, it seems to be more accentuated for pure play online retailers. Mm, and we'll get to that later as you've got some interesting observations on that. So the the online surge through COVID wasn't a blip. It has upped the baseline, yep. I think you say, right? Yep. But what is happening? Is it just this return to retail? Is it kind of a short term, we can get out, let's go and experience and get into the tangible or is there something longer term happening here and in terms of the mix, the waiting? Oh, I think what we saw last, so when we came out of lockdown last year around October, November, we definitely saw a big shift back into stores. People wanted to get out again. I think now we're back in sort of that baseline where it's stabilised. The mix to online has shifted a bit, not as much as it was pre, you know, in the last couple of years. But we're seeing stores, stores are probably slightly down year on year from last year because we had that big lift post lockdown, but online's made up the difference. Overall, we're good on last year, if that makes sense, but the mix has shifted a bit. Yeah. And so does it change your outlook on how many stores you'll open or not? Has it had a change in the configuration? Did you see this coming? Yeah, we sort of anticipated this would be how it would play out. And again, it depends on the business and and the maturity of the business. So Mosaic Brands, which is quite a mature and well-established business, Pre-COVID had 1,400 stores. We're probably now closer to 1,000 and we'll probably close a few more because of that shift in the market. Now, what we'll then do is reassess and then we may start to grow stores again, depending on how the market looks. A brand like Alchemy, which we're still underpenetrated in a lot of our markets, so we still see a lot of opportunity for growth for a brand like General Pants or a brand like Lego or even Ginger and Smart. We see a lot of opportunity for growth. The other thing we we see, again, this is the the advantage of being an omni-channel, multi-channel retailer. When you open a new store, you actually see your online sales in that geography go up. Mm. So they feed each other. Right. And so, you know, you get that dual benefit of opening a store. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And so when you talk about the composition of your your retail portfolio and different segments behaving differently, is it like that for customers as well? For instance, when we, and we'll get to, you know, what's happening with the economy and what you see happening very shortly, but if you've got sort of that, that uh, mosaic portfolio, older, more mature, are they more resilient to economic pressure uh, than, say, Alchemy, where it's a younger skewing portfolio? Or is there any differences in there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what we saw through COVID is the mosaic customer was far more impacted by COVID. She was the first to go into hibernation and was the last to come out, uh, even uh, earlier this calendar year. So through the whole Omicron you know, breakout, yeah, yeah. break whatever we want to call it, uh, that Mosaic customer went into hibernation. She did not come out. She right. stopped shopping. She just self-imposed hibernation, much more impacted than other, other customers. Now that we're moving into a different sort of economic environment, she did not benefit from things like JobKeeper and JobSeeker, right? right? Retirees didn't get the benefit of that. So whilst other retailers, and, you know, to an extent, Alchemy falls into this category, got the benefit of some of those those tailwinds through COVID, Mosaic and that customer didn't. But what they're now seeing is that customer is more resilient to an economic downturn. Right. And we can talk about that, but we're definitely seeing that playing out now in in terms of how we're seeing trade performing. Well, I mean, we are going to go right off on a tangent here, but it's really interesting when you talk about, you know, I hear so often about the boomers being sort of uncool in in the grand scheme, millennials Mm -hmm. and the chase for the younger set. But 
the boomers, you hear, you see the numbers, the boomers have got more money. There's more to spend. There's more discretionary spend. They're actually a bit, you know, an uncool but quite valuable cohort. Yep. Um, what's your take on that? Do we underplay the older segments in terms of what the, their value yeah, look, they definitely have a lot to spend. They spend their money probably differently to how millennials do. Millennials are now, and Gen Z are now the dominant consumer class. They've actually overtaken the boomers. Mm. Uh, in in volume, and in the number of people you're correct, talking about population-wise. Yes, yes. Not necessarily spending yet. Or, Not necessarily spending because they yeah. don't have as much yeah, to much spend. Sparks, yeah, much <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But they do, the millennials do spend a disproportionate amount of their disposable income on lifestyle. Right. Whether that's, you know, going out, going to festivals, um, fashion, rather than the boomers and, and the Gen X. They tend to be a bit more conservative on that sort of spend. and spend a bit differently. So from where, where we're placed, the alchemy, which really targets more of that millennial and Gen X to an extent uh, consumer, you know, we, we think that that consumer is spending a disproportionate amount of their money on the stuff that we are selling. So that, that you know, we're really happy with that. Mosaic, on the other hand, selling to ret- retirees. I mean, the truth is, a 50 plus, 60 plus woman doesn't need another dress, right? It's, it's an emotional purchase. We always say her wardrobe's already full. Right. She has to make room for the additional dress. So it, Can I it, say my wife is as well, by the way, just uh, out of interest? <laughs> Don't go there, Richard. Not, Don't I'm go not, there. I'm, yeah, no. I'm, I'm stepping right away from that <laughs> <Yes>. one. <laughs> but uh, so it's more of an emotional purchase and we have to play to that, that emotion. So you have to think about those consumers quite differently. Mm. They do behave differently and we do treat them differently across the brands and even within each of those businesses. So let's get to, you know, what your sensibilities are telling you for next year. I think mm. you were talking earlier, the, this December quarter, looking okay, quite yeah. quite well for you, uh, going into next year. So December quarter and then next year, what are the tea leaves? So December quarter, it's going to be an interesting one because there's all these countervailing factors at play. Um, we have interest rates going up. We have high inflation but we've also got full employment and there's still excess savings in people's bank accounts. And we have a consumer, and again, if I particularly focus on the the millennial consumer, the younger consumer, but we have a consumer that has not had a Christmas party season for three years. They've not had a festival season for three years. So they're itching to get out and have some fun and they'll spend to do that. So we think the next couple of months are going to be pretty strong. Uh, it all kicks off this week, you know, Cyber Month with Click Frenzy this week, and then we have, you know, Black Friday, then Cyber Monday, and all it all happens over the next few weeks, and then yeah. lead into Christmas. So we think. Can I hold? Because I'm now you just said something I'm busting to ask you, which is, <laughs> I mean, you play in in the whole Click Cyber mm. sort of. What does it deliver for you? What, is it tangible and is it is it profitable? Oh, it's profitable. You definitely see a lower margin because it is a more promotional event. But November's become the new Christmas. People spend big, and you see big numbers coming through. We see that each of those events are probably having less and less cut through year on year as the customer becomes more and more conditioned. But Black Friday, Cyber Monday and Click Frenzy are the big ones and they're the ones that are happening now. What it's also done to the consumer is they almost go on a shopping holiday for the weeks leading up to that. Like, you know, if I don't right. need to buy anything, I won't because I know the sales are coming. Right. And they'll also bring forward their Christmas shopping. So it brings a lot of that. Conditioning expectations yeah, yeah. differently, right? Yeah. So November becomes a very big month. Now, what, you know, it used to be, November used to be years ago, a full margin month. You'd save your, your promotions until getting closer to Christmas and into Boxing Day. November's now become a promotional month with all the activity that goes on. So you've got two months now. You've got Dece- November and December, but you're, you're yeah. extending it, right? Yeah. yeah. So does, is November bigger than December for you now or? No, December's always bigger. Right. Yeah, yeah, because no matter what you do in November in terms of promote, people leave, I mean, I leave my Christmas shopping till the week before. Yeah, but we're blokes. 
<laughs> no comment. We, we are half the population. <laughs> yes, so that's go. true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, and so, what is what does November now represent? What did it say? Let's take COVID out. But um, what did November represent in terms of your overall business, and and what is it now, or in terms of percentage changes? Oh, look, you know, in terms of sales, it, you might have seen a, a 20, 30% lift in revenue from October to November. You might now see a 50 plus percent right. lift and then a, a further step up into into December. Okay, we went off a side street there. So yeah. we got to we so got to December quarter next year. Next year, definitely we're going to see headwinds. Definitely we're going to see a slowdown. Interest rates are definitely going to start to bite. Inflation is high. Uh, you know, it will start to unwind, I think, through the course of next year, but it's still going to have an impact. So again, we've got to break it down by consumer group, right? If you look at the younger consumer, they spend a disproportionate amount of their money, not only on fashion, et cetera, and, and food and bev, but also on things like transport and right. petrol. That's going to hurt them, right? So next year, I think we're going to see a little bit of a slowdown there. With the more mature customer, you think about the more mature customer, and there's some research that was recently published by ComBank IQ. That's the joint venture with Between Quantum, Commonwealth right? Bank. Yes, yeah. correct, correct. Yes, we'll get to that later, yeah. yep. Uh, that the retiree, uh, firstly, she's or she or he, they are less sensitive to inflation because of their spending habits. And secondly, they actually benefit from interest rate rises because they've got money in the bank, they don't have a mortgage. So the Mosaic customer will actually benefit from what's happening in the economy. Yeah, right. Or not benefit, well, in one respect, they'll benefit. In another, in terms of inflation, they'll be less impacted by, than other consumers. So Mosaic should be relatively well positioned for next year compared to other discretionary retailers. For them, like for like sales, so there'll be some growth or holding the line, will it go backwards? I think we're going to see modest like for like sale growth Okay, in that business. That's what we're uh, anticipating. Now, look, if there's a full-blown recession, mm. that's a different, you know, yeah. because that customer or that consumer is also very sentiment-driven and if things are bad, she just feels bad and she'll stop shopping. So right. that sentiment will come to play if it, if it gets really bad. But barring that, we expect to see some comp sales growth there. Within Alchemy, depending on how bad things get, whether we see comp sales decline or not, we're not sure, but we're definitely going to see a softening. But what we've got in that business is a lot of internal growth through more stores that we're rolling out, uh, new businesses that we're licensing, new brands that we're launching. So that, in an absolute sense, will grow regardless of the comp sales. And so I think in that business, we're pretty confident that we've got enough years of absolute growth to offset any comp sales decline that we might suffer in the next And next I just want to I just want to remind our listener, so when we talk about mosaic and alchemy, alchemy houses, surf stitch, general pants, Lego stores, you'll have that license. Pumpkin patch, ginger yep. and smart. Yep. National Stop Geographic. National Geographic. Yep. Right. Yes, yep. I mentioned that one. So okay, great. And so for someone who's, you know, a pretty hardcore retail trader and looking at the economic tea leaves, you don't seem too spooked at the moment. And it's sort of, you're not portraying a great amount of this is, this could get ugly. So firstly, I'm not a trader. I'm a, I'm a retail investor and I, and I sit across the retail businesses. Uh, the guys in the weeds are probably a bit more nervous than I am. Right. And they're, they're sweating their sales every day. Doesn't help me getting all worked up about that. Let them do it. do it. I kind of see through that and I can see the growth that I've got in both those businesses over the next 12, 24 months in a relative sense compared to a lot of our peers for both of those businesses. So I, I won't say I'm relaxed. I always, you know, wake up in the middle of the night worrying about things. That's my, my nature. But I think we're, we're as well positioned as we can be. Mosaic is operationally in the best shape it's ever been. We've got that, the cost structure and the operating model in that business 
set so that it, the operating leverage in that business is, is huge. So we're very comfortable with where that business is. And that's is. Katie's, 90B, Rivers, yep, et cetera. Yep, that's yep. the more mature stuff. Yep. And Alchemy, the General Pants and Surstitch, et cetera, et cetera. We've got enough growth in that business that will fuel, you know, through store growth and through the new brands, et cetera, that will be okay for the next few years. Okay. So do you share that same sort of cautious optimism that you have for your group with the market or do you think your business is behaving differently to the broader suite? Look, I think uh, I never underestimate the competition, but I also don't focus too much on them. We can only control what we can control. I think when I look at Mosaic and where and its peer set, I think that business is in better operating shape than its peers, just from what we hear in the market, our cost structures, our inventory position, we're just in really good shape. And I think we'll, we'll probably fare better than our competitor set. Uh, without, You're not overloaded in stock, I think you were saying. No, You're, you're no, no. comfortable with your inventory levels. I, I know there was a lot of talk, and I know a few retailers a few months ago made the decision to load up on stock to basically offset any supply chain issues that they might might face. We took a different approach. We didn't increase our stock. We just built into our critical path. Okay, it might take an extra two weeks or an extra four weeks to get here. Let's build that into, a, into our critical path. So we've come into this Christmas not overstocked. Uh, I think we're in a comfortable stock position, uh, and that was a deliberate uh, decision. I think it's played out well for us, whereas I'm, I'm aware of some other retailers, I won't name names, who have got a lot of working capital tied up in excess stock that they're going to have to deal with. And if we go into a slowdown next year and they're carrying that excess stock into next year, it'll be interesting to see how that mm, plays out. How they, yeah, and how they offload, mm. what, they do to, what they have to do to offload, I Correct. guess. Correct. Um, I'm really fascinated by your take on uh, online pure plays. Um, they are a little troubled at the moment. And I guess the question is why, given, you know, if you listen to the Sears um, five, six, seven years ago, um, people like you with bricks and mortar stores were going to be in dire trouble and mm. the world was going digital and it was all online. Not quite played out like this. So no. what's your observations on online pure plays first up? Well, firstly, I think the consumer is a multi-channel consumer and they, they shop across all channels. And we often see that, that a consumer is doing their research online seeing something in social, and then going into the store and buying it. And, and a little anecdote, in Ginger and Smart last week, our number one selling gown, it was quite an expensive dress, there were a number of click-throughs online to that, that item. That particular product. That particular right. product, but right. no one actually bought it online. It was only sold in store. So people were seeing it online, they were looking at it, and they were because of the price point they wanted to go into store, feel the fabric, try it on, make sure it looked good, and buy it in store. Right. Now, so... So the online experience was basically informing was the discovery. Yeah, yeah right. correct. Now, if you look at Pure Play Online's, you don't have that ability, right? Right. What's happening with Pure Play Online is customer acquisition costs are just going through the roof, getting more and more expensive and getting harder. You've had the changes to Apple's iOS. Yeah. That's made life harder. Cookies are you know, going to be phased out. And so... What else have you got? Where do you go to acquire your customers? It's getting harder and more expensive. If you think of paid a, search is getting expensive. Oh, and yeah, yeah, your your um, ROAS just you know continues to fall. You're spending more for less mm. in paid search. You redirect more to to social and paid social, but that's going to go the same way. If you think of a bricks and mortar online, you know omni channel. I hate the word omni channel, but there is no one's come up with a better one yet. Yeah, uh, omni channel retailer. Each of your stores is effectively a billboard, right? Yeah. For your for your brand. And so you've got that effective out-of-home marketing that's, that's happening that's then, you know, feeding back into your online, online sales. You don't have that, and so you've got to spend more as an online retailer. And if you look at the, the marketing spend, 
it's, you know, it's very significant for online retailers. And as soon as they wind it back, sales follow. So we've kind of seen that probably when some of the, the results coming out for Adore Beauty, right, which is, is listed. Does that fit into what you're talking about? Yeah, have a look at their prospectus before they IPO. They, their marketing spend went up very significantly and their active customers went out, up very significantly and their revenue did as well. But you also know as soon as they wind that back, it's all going to come back again. Mm. So very hard to have a profitable business when you're running that sort of that sort of model. Is it different to say the iconic? It's it's one of the early ones. What's your your distant observations on that? Well, they're a big business now. They're a billion dollar business, and you hear all sorts of rumours as to whether they are or aren't profitable. Right. I, I have a view. Yes. <laughs> Do tell. No, he says. <laughs> uh, well, not as profitable as they would have you believe. Is my, right. Is my guess. Right. And why? For that very reason, they've got to spend so much in customer acquisition, customer ret- retention gaining that share of wallet from their customers, staying front of mind with your customer because your customer's not walking past your, you know, walking past the store and doing an impulse buy. That doesn't happen with online, really. Right, right. right. So they've just got to spend so much to get their sales. And then uh, freight logistics costs, well, they're not getting cheaper, getting the product to the customer. Again, you can't offer click and collect. You've actually got to get it to their front door. There's a whole lot of factors there. When you talk about profitability online and pure plays, uh, do you break out your lines on your balance sheet or your P&L for your online plays and are they profitable for you as well, each of those brand stores? Yeah, uh, yes, for us, they, and we do internally in our management accounts, we absolutely do. But of course they are because we've got a merch team that is spread across your bricks and mortar and your online. So you don't have to have a dedicated merchandising team just for your online, right? They're covering all your stores as well. The stores give you volume, right? And so in an aggregated sense, when you're defraying those costs across both Mm. online and bricks and mortar, that's what makes the online more profitable. That's certainly the case with Mosaic, and it's absolutely the case uh, within the Alchemy Group as well. In terms of overall trend lines and and, and what you're seeing with your online businesses, you you gave a great uh, anecdote earlier about the expensive dress discovery online buy and store. Are you seeing changes in, in what's happening with your e-com uh, operations and how people are behaving or what's shifting? Is it different product sets that are, that are driving it or just overall behavior? Is there any, any sort of observations there that stand out? Well, the, only, the thing I will say is that social and the different social platforms are becoming increasingly important and not just from a marketing and product discovery perspective, but also from a, from a revenue generating perspective. I think at the moment, and I picked this up when I was in the U.S., Social represents about 10% of all online revenue, and that's going to treble over the next... The is this social years. commerce you're talking about, yeah, or just social, social com- as a social, feed to your... Social commerce, social actually commerce. buying when you're on Instagram or in TikTok right. or wherever you are. That's going to treble over the next few years. They're, they're, they're the, prediction, the prediction, so it's probably going to do more than that. So that that's becoming increasingly important, and people are spending more and more of their time in those social channels and using that to then inform their their purchase decisions and then to actually do their... They're purchasing. So we're seeing more of that. We do know that, you know... Sorry, does your numbers reflect that too? Are you seeing social commerce as, as an important part, at least probably for alchemy or more? Yeah, yeah both, but certainly for alchemy. And 10%? so I don't think it sits at... No, it doesn't sit at 10% here. In the US it does, but here it doesn't. But we're always... Oh, do you think? Yeah, probably there yeah. in that order. But we're certainly investing in social, uh, investing more in social in terms of our team and in terms of the spend that we are allocating to social goods. We see that as increasingly... Right. Important. We know that online research informs about a third of all in-line store, in-store purchases. So we okay. know that the two work very, very closely together. And that's a trend that we have continued to see. 
and it's probably going to continue to grow. How much does your own websites do for that? Do you, is it higher than that? You know, when people you're informing people in store, or is it is it lower than the socials? No, it's about that. Same, it's consistent yeah. with that. Yeah, okay. yeah. And then what we're seeing is when people are ordering online and then picking up in store, so click and collect. Uh, about fifteen percent of those customers are then buying something else when they're in store. So again, this is the beauty of having mm. that multi-channel. You know, so you're seeing these sorts of behaviours. Yes. When you start to understand them, and you can start to to leverage them and to, you know, to start to adjust your business model accordingly, right? Got it. Hey, you mentioned um, the US before and being in the US, and I think this mm. was fascinating. I'm, I'm, I was grateful for that. Um, it was a very good conversation. Now, you were in, in, in San Francisco in September uh, at Dreamforce, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that was going. It was fascinating, that, that whole show. Why were you there? And then what's the challenge you were solving for? Chairman of a, you know, of, of a bunch of retailers in the weeds and technology, I found quite fascinating. Mm. Why and what? Okay. Uh, well, firstly, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a tech geek. I, right. I, I love that stuff. Okay. Right? So you can't, that explains most can't, of it. can't keep me away from it. Yeah. <laughs> also, I see it as strategic, right? It's not, to me, that's not being in the weeds. That, that is about, you know, how do we use technology strategically to become better retailers, right? So this is now thinking about, our roadmap for the next two, three, five years. Right. Right? Where are we taking the, our businesses and how do we use technology to help us become better retailers? Right? Retailing's hard, always has been. I always say Ford is fundamentally a very simple business. You buy stuff, you sell stuff. That's what you're doing. It is hard and it's not getting easier. And so how do we become better? And to me, technology is a big part of that. Right. The other part of the equation is people. Mm. But having the technology is really important. So for me, it was a as much about educating myself about what's happening on the tech front, and I thought it was really useful from that perspective. Mm. Did you come in with an agenda of um, well, you've got a shopping, you've got you've got some plans, right? You've got a whole bunch of thinking going on about what you do with your tech stacks, your systems, mm. and all that. Yeah, it was part of informing that, I guess. Yeah, so we're we're going through a re-platforming exercise in both the businesses, in both Mosaic and Alchemy. But if we look at Alchemy for the moment. You know, we're running three or four different um, finance systems. We've got four different e-commerce platforms. We're migrating everyone onto a common ERP and a common e-commerce platform. We've gone with Salesforce Commerce Cloud. So that project's What were those others? Oh, so e-commerce, we had Shopify, Shopify Plus, Hybris, and Commerce Cloud. Yeah. And then we had different POS systems. I can't even tell you what they were. We had NetSuite running. We had, oh, gosh, there was all sorts of things going on. To you get try. to where you landed on a single, what, what was it about that? It just it was, yeah, why did you choose Commerce oh, Cloud? Well, Commerce Cloud to me has certain advantages if you are a multi-brand retailer and if you are multi-jurisdictional, multi-currency, because you can do a whole lot of the work once to get your base framework or wireframe set up mm. and then it becomes a bit of a cut and paste and you just reskin and it, it's a much, there's an efficiency play there's there. an efficiency there if you're doing mm. multiple websites across brands and across jurisdictions mm, got it. whereas shopify as great as it is you have to really rebuild it each time right, right so there was that advantage and it comes commerce cloud comes with a lot of smarts that come with it you know in terms of you know some of the ai stuff that it does and and, and automations and things mm. so there's some really clever stuff in there that we'll be able to leverage going forward on an ER, on, in ERP, we just chose an ERP that um, we've gone with AP21 that really ticked. No ERP is ever going to tick all your boxes, and this one ticked more boxes than the others, okay. and so we went with that. Got it. So the reason for, for going to Dreamforce was what's next for us, and it's about a better understanding of our customer. It's about gaining a 360, what we call a 360 view of customer, and that is 
understanding a customer across brands, you know, which of our customers are shopping across different brands. Funnily enough, I had coffee with one of the Salesforce um, execs a couple of weeks ago, and she said, I actually shop all of your brands. I shop Service General Pants, Ginger and Smart, and Lego. I said, well, if you hadn't have told me, I'd never have known that. Yeah, right. right. Because you don't know that yet. We, we don't know that yet. Mm. So how do we get to that point that we actually know who those customers are? How do we really start to understand those customers? And that starts to lead to personalization, hyper-personalization, you know, real-time analytics of what the customers are doing. That to me is where we're heading. Mm. And so when I look at Dreamforce, you know, when you take all the Salesforce propaganda out for yes. a moment, just yeah, you know, a little bit of that, <laughs> a little bit of that what's going on in a technology sense and where the market is heading and certainly where the US is is heading and we're just going to follow it's you know it, that's where it's going and you want to do this i think um with alchemy you want to do this across your um you want a single system single yep. view on is mosaic going to be the same or no they'll they'll do their, do their own, own thing do their right. own thing yeah okay. more so in, in in alchemy i want to know if uh, if i have a customer who you know and she's shopping for herself at ginger and smart but she's also shopping for her kids at surf stitch and she's buying stuff at Lego. I want to know that about mm. about her mm. or him. And how do how do we find and attract more of those customers? Firstly, how do we retain them out those high lifetime value customers? How do we retain them and get more out of them? And then how do we find more of them? What is it about them that makes them so special that we can go and find more of them? So have you landed on your full tech stack yet, or are you still no. in play on that? No, no, no. Uh, so at the moment, we're just going with the ERP and with the um, Commerce Cloud mm-hmm. rollout. We're doing some strategy work now so we can start to build our roadmap. There's so many different ways you can go. Do you go with a, a MarTech solution? Do you go with a customer data platform? You know, which way, what comes next? Mm. A loyalty platform, what comes next? And so we need to start to map that, you know, lay out that roadmap so we can then start to move forward. Um, so we're in that process now. Yeah, and, and, you know, there's a lot of talk about CDP's customer data platforms mm. um, in the US. Yep. And even here now, everyone's talking about yep. it. W- where do you sit with it at the moment in, in, in terms of do you need one? Because sometimes people go, well, do we actually need a CDP? Do you feel like, you know, 100%. your groups? Right? Yeah, we definitely need one. Absolutely. We because definitely... it's a central repository for. Correct. And you get that single view of customer, a single source of truth. Uh, you get to know everything about that customer across their customer journey, across all your brands. I think that's critical for us, mm. especially as we start to bring on more brands more licenses, acquire more businesses. How do we now leverage those high value customers across those new brands as well? What are those new brands that you're talking about? So we've got National Geographic yep. launching in, in May. We're doing some more work with Disney in the background, so hopefully there'll be some more stuff coming off the back of that. We're about to acquire a small children's wear brand, which we're going to incubate and grow, and we see a lot of potential for. Well, uh, you have one, isn't that? Pumpkin Patch? You're yeah, so, add to it. yeah, so we'll add to that and we'll mm-hmm. create a, a kids' wear unit, if you like. Right couple of our vertical brands within Alchemy. So Insight, for example, which used to be a very large standalone brand years ago, we're going to relaunch that as a standalone mm-hmm. brand. So there's a lot going on. Mm. Um, having that insight nice. into those customers is going to be critical for, for the success of all those brands. So what have you got now then? You have none of that visibility. You sort of got sort of no, all, systems. No, all of our customer data sits in the brands. Right. So the Lego guys know who they're. 350 or 400,000 loyal customers are and mm. they look after them and General Pants has its 2.1 million VIP customers and Surfsets has its 2 million database, but they all sit in the brands, right? So they're able, With their own systems. Yeah. yeah. And, and often sitting across different systems. Some of the data might sit in your MarTech system, some might sit in your POS system, some might sit in your ERP. And so you'll have different bits of data sitting in different parts of the business, right? Mm. 
And so when you need to do a, a drill down into that data, you're drilling into multiple systems across different brands. It's a huge exercise. So what's happened at the, the actions happening from your perspective now, from your tech stack, to, you know, reinvention? Um, why now versus, was it COVID that's fast-tracked? So many people talk about reinvention or digital transformation being fast-tracked by, you know, three, four, five years because of it. Was it this uh, why, you know, was it on the on your radar prior to COVID or is it some sort of realisation that's happened now is the time? I think there's a few factors. I mean, COVID certainly was a big wake-up call for a lot of people uh, in terms of we need to invest more in, in digital and more in customer experience and more in integrating our various channels to market. Um, but also the, the, if I look at a business like Alchemy, when we bought General Pants in May of this year, that really took us from being a collection of brands with surf this ginger and smart and lego uh, and pumpkin patch to now a retail conglomerate and that to me was the trigger where okay now we've got the critical mass and the scale to now let's start to invest in this stuff because we're only going to keep growing right so this stuff's only going to get more important we can afford it now let's do it so that for me was the trigger what is your expectations then? Um, this will drive, obviously, repeat business. You'll be able to talk to your customer base. You'll know what they're doing in your different segments. Is there an incremental increase uh, that you expect from this tech deployment and investment that says, you know, there, there'll be some case study somewhere, I'm sure? Yeah, look, you know, I'd love to see us lift. I mean, once you have the customer, it's about maximizing their share of wallet and, you know, the life of that of that customer and the share of wallet you know, how do we get them to come back more frequently? So can we get, you know, can we get frequency from 2 to 2.2 or 2.5, you know, so a 10, 20% lift in frequency? Well, that's a 10 to 20% lift in revenue. Now that's where you, you know, people talk about achieving like-for-like sales. Well, that's how you do it, right? Mm. Uh, How do we get more out of them, increase their basket size by giving them offers or showing them product that is more relevant to them at that point in time. Again, this is where the technology comes mm. in. This is all stuff that you could do manually, but it would take hundreds of people, you know, hundreds of hours to do it. Yeah. The technology allows it to do it quickly and in real time. Yeah. Lo- loyalty programs, are you, where do you sit with that? Yeah. Um, look, I think loyalty programs are important, but loyalty programs, you know, it's not just about points and it's not just about discounts. It's about making people feel part of a community. It's about giving them exclusive offers. It's about giving them early access. It's about giving them something that they can't get from someone else. So for example, you know, if you're a loyalty member of General Pants and I was to say, hey, we're a sponsor of Laneway Festival and as our VIP, you know, we're going to give you two backstage passes to Laneway, that's far more valuable than a 20% discount. I mean, that's something that no one else is giving me. Mm. So that's how you start to build loyalty. Now, you have to remember loyalty platforms or loyalty programs are simply a tool to help you, you know, achieve that loyalty, but it's what you're offering your customers. That, that's just the mechanism that's allowing you to do it. Yeah. Right. Okay. A loyalty program of itself isn't going to achieve loyalty. With all that stuff you're talking about, that the, the investment in tech, what would happen, Richard, if you didn't do what you're doing now with that? Where does the business end up? Just not as, not as growth orientated. And we'd go backwards. Right. Like I said earlier, retail's getting harder and you have to keep investing in this stuff in the technology and in the people. That's a whole other discussion. Yes, people, right? yes, yes. But you have to keep investing in this stuff because otherwise you're going to stand still and you'll start going backwards and that's not my mindset. 
Two more questions and we'll, we'll um, mm -hmm. leave you alone. The first thing is that so much is put into understanding and deploying these tech, the tech infrastructure and tech stacks, but on the flip side, you actually need to invest in your resource to make them sing, yeah. right, to make them work. So yeah. I guess you've got a whole new agenda ahead of you to find the people to actually drive these Ferraris because they can be if they're driven well, properly. Yeah. Have you got a, skill sets, capabilities, people on that front? That's all will be ahead of you. Yeah, yeah. and look, we are... We are looking at recruiting people, but you know, it's, it's more than that. It's, it's changing people's mindsets. People habitually do things a certain way because that's how they've always done it. Now we're saying, you know what, you don't do it that way. You don't have to do it that way anymore. If you do it this way and use this technology, you'll get a better outcome. So it's retraining people and getting them to think differently. Retailers are just very used to doing things the way they've always done them, mm. right? It's a very slow moving industry, right? How do, what promotion are we going to do this week? Well, what did we do last year this week? What did we do the year before this week and the right. year before that? Okay, well, you know, that's how they think. So getting them to almost rewiring the team to start to use this technology, right? It's like, as you say, you, know, you can buy a flash new car, but if you don't use all the bits that go with it, you might as well just go and buy a, you know, buy a bomb. So it's a bit like that. So it's not just about bringing new people in. It's about taking the team that we've got and getting them, taking them on the journey and getting them to rethink how they go about their business. Yeah. And no small feat, that one. No small um, feat. Big, a big, big task. Final one is your own marketing across your group. Yep. Do you do much of it? Uh, is it more performance as a retailer? It'd be hardcore bums on seats. Let's get some people in and drive sales. So is it more performance marketing over brand building? Um, what channels deliver? And what's your marketing budgets? All those questions answered in, you know, five minutes. Thanks. <laughs> your whole plan. Thanks, no Richard. Worries. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be too specific because that would be uh, proprietary and I'm not going to tell you, but we are pretty consistent with our marketing spend in terms of percentage of revenue. Mm -hmm. it does vary from brand to brand. So not, a business like ServStitch has to spend a lot more as a percentage of revenue because it's pure play online. It has historically been very dependent on performance marketing. Performance marketing is a bit of a drug, right? Mm. You, you know, it, people love it because you spend a dollar, you get a ROAS of six, uh, you know, okay, great, it's I can fast, measure you can it. See it yep. Finance team loves it, CFO loves it, yep, yep, sign off the budget because we know we're going to get a, a return on that. Above the line, you can't measure it as easily, so it's harder to win that argument. But what we're seeing is performance marketing is becoming less effective we do need to invest above the line in brand marketing. So what we do is we test and learn. Okay, let's pull back a bit on performance and throw a bit into some out of home or a bit more into social. Let's see what that does to our numbers. And you keep tweaking. Our overall budget as a percentage of revenue doesn't change. Right. right? And, and it's pretty it's pretty consistent. It's the mix. Yeah. And that mix is changing, uh, is shifting structurally as well. I think performance is going to become less, structurally less uh, effective. And so we'll have to find other places to put that marketing dollar to work. So I, I think there's a round two on this next year and we can start talking about what's really landed. But mm -hmm. Richard, great to talk. Really insightful observations on a, on a big retail business and what's happening. So thanks for joining. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Paul. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 audio edition to listen for free. Listener.